Amen. Thank you, James and so many others helping lead worship this morning. I think if we took a vote, we would all agree that we think a lot more about the first coming of Jesus than the second coming. Uh, in other words, we think more about Christmas than we think about the return of Jesus Christ. But, I mean, we really can't help it, can we, especially in November, right? You roll up into Walmart, what do you see? Christmas trees. You go to uh, the dollar store, you hear Jingle Bell Rock being played on the intercom system. Y'all listening? So Christmas is absolutely everywhere. But what's amazing is that when you look in the Old Testament, you will find that there are about 100 prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus Christ. And Jesus... I mean, he nails every single prophecy with pinpoint accuracy. But did you know that in the Old Testament, there are five times as many prophecies about the second coming of Jesus than there are about the first coming? So five times as many. So I want you to think about this for a moment. If Jesus nailed about 100 prophecies with pinpoint accuracy, I think we would all agree that his track record is pretty good. Y'all agree with that? So Jesus now is talking about his second coming in the chapter that we're going to study in Luke's gospel, chapter 21. And if you are a serious student of the word, when you study Luke chapter 21, you'll also drop down next to that Matthew chapter 24 and Mark chapter 13. All three of those chapters in the New Testament have a discourse of Jesus talking to his disciples about his return, about his second coming. And so this morning, we're going to elevate that, and hopefully it will drive us to be passionate about our walk with Jesus Christ here today. Now, it's pretty interesting. I started thinking about the second coming of Christ. I'm like, why would anyone want to talk about that this Sunday? I've been thinking to myself, how does this apply to the people who are going to be there? they got bills to pay this week. Are y'all listening? So some of you may be like, come on, Jesus, right? And then some of you may like, be like, well, not yet. Don't come yet. I still have some things that I want to experience in life. And so you begin to think about the second coming of Christ and maybe it causes a little fret. But what I want to do this morning is really show you some truths from Luke's gospel that you can apply today as we live between this first and second coming of Christ. So go ahead and open with me in Luke 21, verse 5 is where we start. We've got several verses to read, so if you'll stand to your feet in honor of God's word and listen to what the scripture says. Y'all got it in front of you? Say yes. Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 5. While some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, Jesus said, As for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be uh, left one stone upon another, which will not be torn down. So they questioned Jesus, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See to it that you are not misled. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he... And the time is near. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified. But these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Then he continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. 
Yet not a hair of your head will perish, but your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. And then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because there are days of vengeance so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be a great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Men fainting from fear and the expectation of things which are coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But then these things begin to take place. Straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And then he told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the leaves. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you have the strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, during the days he was teaching in the temple, but at evening he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet. And all the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple to listen to him. Let's bow. Father, we do thank you for your word. Use it now to wash us, make us clean. And God, I pray for those who are not yet prepared for your return, that you would speak to their hearts, call them to salvation today, that they would have a life-changing experience. God, place your hand on us as we study your word, that we might grow in our walks with you, applying truth so that spiritual maturity can indeed occur in us. And we'll give you glory for it, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said... Amen. So you guys go ahead and be seated. So here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, we see Jesus talking about his second coming. But the question will be, why is it that he is now talking about the second coming? What is it that sparked that conversation? Well, you've got to put yourself in the sandals of the disciples for just a moment. You are walking into the city of Jerusalem, and you are with the Christ the Messiah, the one that you have read about, you have heard about in the synagogues all of your life, and you are fired up to be with Jesus. And then you look over on the other hand, and you see the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple is made with unbelievable gold. It is one of those structures that is considered one of the wonders of the world in that day. So as you enter in, you are mesmerized at how massive the temple really is. In fact, they tell us that the stones on the temple were about the same size as boxcars on trains. So this is a massive building. Now you're excited as a disciple because you are with
the Messiah and you see the temple. And you know that in the Old Testament there is a promise that when Messiah comes, he will set up a kingdom upon the earth. So you see the temple, you know Messiah has come to set up a kingdom upon the earth, and you know the promise of the Old Testament that the Messiah will rule from the temple in Jerusalem. So you see the temple, you see the Messiah, and you are so fired up about it, you're thinking, now's the time, now the kingdom's going to be established, now I'm going to have a place of authority. But then Jesus pours water on your anticipation. Cold water at that. Did y'all notice what Jesus said? Look in your Bibles again at verse 6. He says, as for these things, talking about the temple, which you are looking at, the days will come when there will not be one stone left upon another. They will be torn down. Now, if you're a disciple and you're following Jesus and you care of that, then you immediately are going to begin to think, wait a minute, you're supposed to rule from this temple. You're supposed to establish a kingdom here in Jerusalem. So if the temple is torn down, when is the kingdom going to be established? And that is the subject of the entire conversation of Jesus in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21. And you remember Matthew 24 and Mark chapter 13 speak about the same exact conversation. And in Matthew 24, they came to Jesus and they asked him this question. They said, what will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? So there we have it. The conversation is centered around the second coming of Jesus Christ. They want to know, tell us Jesus what it's going to be like when it all goes down. So Jesus now is going to begin to tell them. Now, just so you remember, last week when we were together, we talked about how we are currently living between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And there are some things that we should be involved in in this particular age. But we're going to learn this morning that we also need to apply some awesome truths from this text as we live between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. So there's two major truths. Can I give them to you very quickly? If y'all don't know it yet, I preached way too long last service, right? So some of y'all are nervous already about the message, aren't you? So you're like, how long is this going to be? Yeah? So um, I will tell you this, though. Check it out. Like last Sunday I preached and I warned you not to be religious. Can I tell you what happened to me this week, which was awesome? Somebody said to me, they said, I know that you're a religious person. And so I looked at them and said, you're not going to believe what I preached last Sunday. I told everybody in church not to be religious. And uh, she looked at me and said, you told them what? And uh, she was cutting my hair. And so any of that's why I look so dapper this morning. Right? Somebody said she'd rocked it out on the cut. She messed up on the color. Y'all listening? It wasn't that funny. But there it was. So I had the opportunity to share the gospel. What I want to do today is encourage you once again. Don't fall into the routine of religiosity. I want to encourage you in two other ways. And here's the very first one. Do not squander your persecutions. Do not squander. Do not waste. Do not cast aside your oppression for following Jesus Christ. Now you've got to follow me here. We're doing some Bible study this morning. Verses 8 through 19 of Luke 21 deal specifically with what life is going to be like before the signs of Jesus' return begin. So he describes for you and I what life will be like as we live in a world that is dominated by evil. So the events that are highlighted are part of the normal chaos associated with the dominion of evil upon the earth. So Jesus now is going to describe what it's going to be like in the normalcy of life. He gives at least three major things. First, he talks about religious deception. Look at verse 8. He says, See to 
it that you are not misled. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. Now, in a world dominated by evil, there will be a continual increase in false teachers and leaders, some who claim to be Jesus themselves. There'll be those who will seek to steer you off course with predictions about the last days, but do not be deceived. There will be individuals just that have been in the past who have argued about the time when Jesus Christ would come again. All of them were wrong. They do not know, and if somebody tells you that they do know, they're lying. Y'all all right? So don't be misled. Now, I remember when I was a teenager and uh, growing up in church, our pastor on a Sunday morning said, Y'all come back to church tonight. I'm going to tell you when Jesus is coming. Can I tell you that was the highest attendance I ever saw on Sunday night? That place was jam-packed, man. Everybody's mama came. You listening? And they came in there. And here's what he said. Jesus is coming back when he gets ready. All right? That was his sermon, and we were all disappointed. But anyway, religious deception continues to increase even in our day. We know that there are false gospels being preached everywhere. There's the false gospel of prosperity. There's the false gospel of poverty. There's also the false gospel of self-esteem. There are people who are cherry-picking verses out of the Bible, using them out of context and making them say things that they do not really mean, all to put man at the very center and lift up man and put God and Jesus on the peripheral. That is a false gospel. Whenever you hear preaching from the Bible, it should always elevate the person of Jesus Christ and magnifies the good news of who he is. And if that truth or gospel is not coming forth clearly, then it needs to be warned that that could very well be a false preacher. So there are preachers out there who are fabricating a Jesus, creating a Jesus, not even a Jesus in the Bible, and they're encouraging people to follow that Jesus. Now, if you follow a Jesus that is fabricated in the imagination of a man, then guess what? You're not following the biblical Jesus. So we need to know the truth. Religious deception will be on the rise. That is a promise, and we are living in those days. There's also rumors of wars. Look at verse 9. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place, but the end does not follow immediately. Now, I didn't have time to do it, but I could have shown you historically how over the course of the days that, and centuries from when Jesus made this comment to today, there have been an increase in wars and rumors of wars every single century. You turn on the news today, and that's all you hear about. You hear about wars and rumors of wars. So that's true. They are increasing. That's because we're living in a world dominated by evil. So there's the rumors of wars. Then thirdly, he mentions reported increase of natural disasters. Look at verse 10 through 11. He continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places plagues and famines. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Now, this is interesting. We could have done the exact same thing. Historically modeled and shown to you how over the course of history, every single decade has produced more famines, more earthquakes, more natural disasters than ever before. So that is on the rise. That will continue to increase. Now, some people are like, why? Why is that happening? Could it be global warming? <laughs> are you all all right? That I throw global. Global warming, by the way, is in the Bible. Second Peter 3, it will warm on that very warm. I'm just letting y'all know. Y'all out there. Some of y'all are like, what? Global warming is in the Bible? You're looking it up right now. False teacher. I'm just kidding. 
Why is it that natural disasters are increasing over and over every single decade? It is because the earth is in birth pains, the Bible teaches, longing for redemption. So in the same way that a woman goes into labor and experiences pain before the birth, even the earth is experiencing pain before the birth of something miraculous here upon the globe. So there's a reported increase of natural disasters. But verse 12, notice what he says. He says, but before all these things, and that phrase, by the way, this is some Bible study here. That phrase actually points to the last phrase of verse 11, which is terrors and great signs from heaven. So the terrors and great signs from heaven are not religious deception, not rumors of war and reported increases of natural disasters. The terrors and signs from heaven speak about a time known as the tribulation. And the tribulation is a time that will occur upon the earth and last seven years. And I'll talk to you about that in just a few moments. But notice verse 12 again. He says, before all of these things, they will lay their hands on you. They will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. So Jesus here is saying that before his coming again, that those who are his followers are going to face great persecution, great mistreatment, and great oppression. Could you imagine what it would have been like to be a disciple walking with Jesus? You're hanging out, fired up about the kingdom about to happen. You're looking at the temple and you're saying, Jesus, if you ever seen anything like that, it's unbelievable. Jesus says, all that stuff's going to be destroyed. Okay. And if you're going to follow me, people are going to hate you. And they're going to put you to death. Your mama's not even going to like you. Would y'all agree Jesus is wildly encouraging? (laughs) What is the deal here? Jesus is giving sober assessment to them. And it is awesome. Notice what he says about this persecution. Verse 13. He says this persecution, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. And then he says, so make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. For I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. Now, in this text of scripture is a phenomenal truth. Jesus is warning his followers not to squander or to waste any of their persecutions. When Whenever they are mistreated, they are to see it as an opportunity to be a witness and to testify of the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, this is huge. This is what we apply today. You and I are living in between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. You and I are called to be a light of the gospel in the dark world. So we're to talk about Jesus. We're to lead people to Jesus. We're to make disciples everywhere. That is our mission. And as we do that, And as we are bold about the gospel of Jesus Christ, every single one of us are going to face persecution and oppression and mistreatment. And we're going to be ostracized from particular groups. So what should we do? Well, the encouragement here is to understand, and this is huge. Are y'all listening? Say yes. That God divinely allows persecution in the life of a believer to build a platform for them to shine forth the grace of Jesus. So God allows persecution to occur. So that means for all of us, uh, and I'll just kind of contextualize this, you're getting prepared for Thanksgiving, aren't you? Everybody's about excited about Thanksgiving uh, for the most part, except you have to go and eat with all of your family. Are y'all listening? And everybody's got a crazy uncle, don't they? Or cousin? If you're saying no, it's because you are the person, all right? <laughs> it is you. <laughs> Wake up. It's you. 
And here's the deal. Whenever you go into Thanksgiving, some people are even wondering, well, whenever we gather around, not everybody in my family is a follower of Jesus. So should we pray? Should we really give thanks to Jesus for what he's done in our life? How should we respond? What should we be like? Because if we pray, then, man, my uncle may get a little angry. My cousin may get a little sideways. My uh, grandpa may get a little sideways. What should I do? Pray. Thank the Lord Jesus Christ for what he's done. And you're like, but that may rub everybody the wrong way. They might begin to ostracize me. God will use it. (laughs) He always does. God has used persecution throughout the history of the church to elevate the gospel. If you read through the New Testament, you will find that they begin to write to the church that is scattered all over Asia Minor. And whenever they use that term scattered, it's the same idea of uh, salt being uh, thrown on meat. You know how you do that. You're going to eat today. You're going to put salt everywhere. God, through persecution in the early church, spread and scattered the church all over the world. Now, why did he do that? So the gospel could get out. And some of you are facing persecution now, and you are kind of falling into the fight-or-flight syndrome. Whenever you face persecution in the workplace, you want to fight people. That's not the proper response. Whenever you face persecution, maybe in school, you just want to run. You don't want to stand up for Jesus. So That's not the proper. God does not use those responses to elevate His grace. So you respond by standing firm on the truth. And whenever you stand firm on the truth in the midst of persecution, God elevates His grace at work in your life. So whenever you're persecuted, that's not time for you to shut up. That's not time for you to retreat and hide. That is time for you to stand strong and firm like you've never stood before. And listen, if we just get honest, and I'm tired. Can I lean on this for just a second? If we just get honest this morning, all right? Bottom line is the persecution that you and I face doesn't even compare to what's happening throughout the globe. Right now, in our current century, there have been more martyrs for the Christian message than ever before in the history of the Christian church. People are having their heads cut off for their faith in Jesus Christ. And and you're afraid that you might hurt somebody's feelings. Or you're afraid that somebody may mistreat you and hurt you. They won't be my friend anymore. What? That is ridiculous, man. Short time here on the earth. Why are you so concerned about how you feel about every situation? God has called every one of us to stand firm in the midst of persecutions. He divinely allows it to occur in our life so that he can display grace. That is awesome. Look, you you know what's awesome about living uh, here? Uh, There's not as many, um, what do you call those things? Lights on the streets. What are they called? Street lights. I need a Snickers, man. Are y'all all all right? Street lights, that's what they're called. But I I, kind of dig it. When I first got here, I was a little nervous. I was like, I've never seen it so dark before. But what I like is, for the first time, I've been able to look up at the sky and see the stars like never before, the moon shining crazy bright. And I'm like, where has this been all of my life? I've been under street lights. I've been missing it. Here's what I have discovered, though. They shine the greatest when it's the darkest. Persecution seems like darkness, but God allows it because that's when you shine the brightest. 
And the Bible says in the book of Colossians, you should shine like stars for the gospel. So whenever you're persecuted, made fun of, don't you fret that, man. You stay strong in Jesus Christ and let him use you in the days ahead. Can I get a witness on that? Say amen. Let me give you all a second point here. And we've got to roll quickly. And that is stay alert to what God is doing. So I not only want you to uh, make sure you don't waste your persecutions. They're making fun of you down at the workplace. Good. I forgot to say this. I want to say this. Just look at me. I bought, I bought. This is the awesome thing about being the preacher. You can just say it, can't you? Please don't come to me and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I just work with so many heathens. I want to work somewhere where there's a bunch of Christians. Don't ask. I ain't praying it. No, I'm not praying it. God put you with all them heathens so you can make a difference. Everybody wants to get out of the fire. Stay in it, man. God choose. I wish I worked around a bunch of heathens. I got to work with James Dollar, walking around singing Amazing Grace all the time. You know what I mean? It's like, give me some lost people. You know what I'm saying? Stay alert. Here, here's the second point. Y'all are crazy. Y'all are thinking, good night. Don't ask that. If you're visiting, you're like, I'm not asking him to pray for anything. This guy, he's got a problem. Are you wasting your persecution? That really is the question. Here's the second point, though. Stay alert to what God is doing. Now, Jesus begins to share with his disciples signs of his second coming. Notice how he transitions in verse 20. Now, this is awesome. Man, I feel like I'm skipping over stuff, but I'm, I'm rolling here. Verse 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave. Those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are the days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, Bible study again, all right? Most scholars believe that verse 20 correlates with the time known as the abomination of desolation. Now, I've already mentioned to you the tribulation, all right? So here's what we've got. Everybody look at me eyeball to eyeball. At this right here, uh, time frame, you're looking at a scale. This is the tribulation, all right? Seven years is how long it lasts. We know that from Daniel uh, chapter 9. But we also know that it is marked by the rapture of the church. So the church is raptured up, and then seven-year tribulation happens here on the earth. The first three and a half years of the tribulation are peace... Because the Antichrist comes in and he begins to uh, be a great leader and everybody listens to him. And then he actually leads the Jews back to Jerusalem and gives them permission to actually rebuild the temple. Remember the importance of the temple? So now they're rebuilding the temple. They're all fired up and there's peace in the land. And then once the temple is done, the Antichrist goes into the temple and sits down on the throne of the temple and says, I'm God, worship me. And then the last three and a half years of the tribulation, which are also known as the time of Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble in the Old Testament, are the worst days ever on the face of the earth. We read about this in the book of Revelation where we talk about the bowl judgments, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments. All of these things are going to be poured out on the earth the last three and a half years. Towards the end of that seven-year tribulation, all the nations are going to gather around Jerusalem and around those who are of Israeli descent. Their desire at that point in time is to wipe Israel off the face of the map, kill every single Jew that they possibly can. So as they mount... And you've probably heard of that battle. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. And as they come into Jerusalem, here's what's amazing. Uh, they're just about to wipe them off the face of the earth. And then they can't. 
But why can't they? Because Jesus came back. Romans chapter 9 says all Israel will be saved at the return of Christ. So Jesus splits in the clouds, comes to the earth, and by the sword of his mouth, Revelation chapter 19, he destroys all of the surrounding nations who are trying to destroy his people. He saves them. Matter of fact, Jesus describes it, verse 25 through 28. He says, There'll be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Everybody listen, this is awesome. The sun, the moon, the stars, all a part of creation. Romans chapter 1 tells us this. Creation exists to declare that there is a creator. So when you look at the moon, you look at the stars, you look at the sun, you ought to see creation and know somebody put that there, there must be a creator. Same way you look at a building and say there's a builder, you look at creation, say there's a creator. Same thing. So what's amazing, though, is that the Bible says that before Jesus splits the clouds and comes to the earth, that the sun, the moon, and the stars are all going to cease from shining. So the stars are going to fall from the sky. The moon will no longer give its light. Neither will the sun. So that which declared the existence of God will be turned off on the world. So it's as if the Lord is saying, you don't want to pay attention to creation which declares I exist. I'll turn all the lights out. So now all the lights are out. Y'all with me? Say yes. So it is pitch dark on the earth. And then out of nowhere, just as he has promised... The brightest light the world has ever known splits through the sky. Jesus. And we ain't got it. Listen, I don't have a clue about it. I do not understand it. I cannot remotely describe to you the weight of the glory and the shining of the Son of God coming in the clouds. I, have, I can't explain it to you. Don't understand it. I'm a preacher and I flat out don't get it. But I can tell you when he comes, everybody's going to know He's going to split the Israel. And here's, listen, listen to what Daniel said. This is Daniel in the Old Testament. He says it like this. He's having visions about this day that I've just described to you. Are you all listening? Say yes. Here's what Daniel says. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. He came up to the Ancient of Days. Who's the Ancient of Days? That's God the Father. And was presented before Him. Jesus, the Son of Man, came up to God the Father and was presented before Him. And to Jesus was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Did y'all hear that? Here's what Daniel was seeing. Daniel was seeing the day... When God the Father actually coronates Jesus Christ, his son, and gives him a kingdom. That's the great coronation. Here it is, and then Jesus is coming again in the clouds, and everybody's going to see it. <laughs> hey, man, can I just say to you this morning, I'm pretty fired up to be on that train. Y'all all right with that? It's like if you're not on that train, you're on the wrong tracks, bro. Right? It's that old preacher, right? I've never said this while I was preaching except last service. Y'all all right? But the old preacher said it this way. He's like, I read the back of the book, man. We win. <laughs> Y'all remember that? He's like, that's my man right there. You know what I'm saying? And it's true. That's where it's at. You are on a winning team when you're on the team with Jesus Christ. 
He is winning, man. Now, how are we supposed to live in the meantime? Verse 28 through 33. When these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And then he told a parable, Behold a fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it. Know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So Jesus is like, when you see the leaves on a fig tree, you know it's summer. Same with the signs that I have shared with you. When you see these things happening, get ready because I'm about to come in glory. And Jesus is speaking directly to Israel at this particular juncture. He's not talking to the church. He's talking to Israel. The church has been raptured up. The generation, and this is what has caused theologians over the years to scratch their head and say, what? The Bible says, uh, Jesus speaking, he says, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So it's like, what do you mean all these things? So you're talking about that generation because they've all died and all this stuff you've described hasn't happened. So here we know Jesus is not talking about that generation who is listening to this discourse. He's talking about the future generation that will be a part of the seven-year tribulation. That generation will not pass away until all these things occur. And then verse 34, he's like, but be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the words of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep on the alert in all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and stand before the Son of Man. So Jesus warns the Israelites to make sure that they are alert and always prepared for the great tribulation that will occur. They're to stay prayed up and not become consumed with temporary things on the earth to a point that they take their eyes off of what God is ultimately doing. The great tribulation is actually setting the stage for God to reveal Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. Look at me. This is awesome. God divinely allows persecution today to show his grace at work in your life. So don't mess that up. If you're being persecuted, stand firm. Don't flight, don't flight. All right? None of that. Stand firm for the gospel. Here's the deal, though. God is doing that today to show his grace at work in you. But in the future, when the great tribulation occurs, the great persecution happens upon the earth, God ultimately will not just reveal the grace at work in people's lives. He'll reveal the one who gives us grace. There he is. That will be Jesus. Y'all out there? That's pretty slick, isn't it? So all that's going to occur. Now, how should we live now? We live between the first and second coming of Jesus. How should we be rolling? Listen to what Chuck Swindoll says. Chuck Swindoll, by the way, if you've never listened to him preach, you will love him much better than me. All right? He's an awesome preacher. Uh, I wish we could listen to him. Here's what Chuck said, though, about this passage. He said, are you all listening? Say yes. Because this is the crux, man. If you miss this, we've wasted our time. Jesus encouraged his followers in that generation and all generations to follow to be in a continuous state of alertness. This doesn't mean that we should sell our possessions and sit on a hill looking up in anticipation into the sky. We actually maintain our readiness by fulfilling our God-given responsibilities. Not allowing ourselves to become passive, by, idle, complacent, or distracted by meaningless activity. And then when the master returns, we don't have to scramble to get our lives in order at the last minute. That's a good word. Hey, look, 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 what have we been preaching on? What have we been talking about? This whole idea of the coronation. Here's the deal. We've said it, right? 
God has allowed us to live between His first and second coming. So what should we be doing? We should be praying, God, break our heart for what breaks yours. And when we pray that way, God births in us ministry and mission. And then as we move forward with great courage, we face persecution, questions, inspection, opposition. All of these things come against those of us who are moving forward. But as we persevere, as we remain faithful, there's fruit on the other side. And God uses all of that persecution to elevate His grace at work in your life. Don't miss that. Now, if I had a hula hoop up here, this is what I would say to you, okay? Hula hoop is around me. Do y'all see it? Y'all see, the hula, y'all see it over here? It's red. Did y'all notice that? Yes, God bless you. It's red hula hoop. If I'm inside the hula hoop, that means I am in the center of what God has saved me to do. Right? Y'all with me? So I'm, I'm doing exactly what God's called me to do. I'm inside the hula hoop. If I'm outside of the hula hoop, that means I'm not in the center of what God's called me to do. So what am I doing? I am wasting my life. Dissipation, drunkenness, worries and cares of this world have kept me from staying inside the hoop. Here's where God wants you to be. Now, can we get gut level honest? Where are you? Are you inside the hoop? Are you out here and the hoop's not even remotely close to you and you're overwhelmed? with worries and cares of this world that make no difference for eternity. God didn't save you so you can come sit in here and look at me every Sunday. Don't get too excited about that. (laughs) But it is true, isn't it? God's called you out of the darkness into the light to make an impact. Hey, can I tell you this? Man, i got to close, right? I skipped a bunch of stuff. Here's here's what's awesome, though. You read the book of Acts, and the demon-possessed guy comes up to another dude who basically is trying to cast the demon out. The demon says, uh, Hey, uh, I know Jesus and I know Paul. I ain't got a clue who you are. Are, y- are y'all listening? I started thinking, man, if a demon-possessed individual walked up in here, would they say to you or me, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I don't know who you are. Are we so ineffective that even hell doesn't recognize us. Wouldn't it be something else, by the way? Just, just, just dream with me here for a second. Wouldn't it be awesome if the enemies of darkness, all right, all this is a spiritual battle, but wouldn't it be awesome if the enemies of darkness trembled and they thought about concord? Yeah, that's where it's at. And that happens when you stand firm in the midst of persecution. That happens when you stay alert in the hoop doing exactly what God's called you to do. Don't miss that. Man, don't waste away your life. Y'all out there on that? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to hearts.